the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Today I'm looking forward to a conversation with Pastor Rich Jones of Calvary Chapel Hillsboro. We're going to talk about the real meaning of Christmas. I had a conversation last night with a fellow Bible study mate and they had invited a teenager to a Christmas pageant and part of the subtitle was Uh, The true meaning of Christmas. Well, this puzzled the teenager who had no idea what that meant. And it occurred to us that a lot of people have no idea what the true meaning of Christmas is. So we're going to talk about that with Pastor Rich Jones coming up in the second hour of today's program. But first, a look at some of the day's headlines. Well, the U.S. Justice Department filed a lawsuit on Wednesday against the state of Arizona and Governor Doug Ducey over the state's temporary border wall made of hundreds of double-stacked shipping containers. The government argues the makeshift wall is illegal, dangerous, and it interferes with the federal duties and has asked a judge to order the removal of the containers from U.S. land. Now, interestingly enough, they're not doing anything to protect the people of that area. And when the state took matters into their own hands, well, the government is suing. Well, the suit requests damages for the state's unlawful trespass and asks for a declaration that Arizona's use and occupancy of lands owned by the United States without the required permits or other authorization constitutes unlawful trespass. And this is a state trespassing on federal land to protect its people. The lawsuit was filed in U.S. District Court for Arizona on Wednesday on behalf of the U.S. Departments of Agriculture and Interior. The work on the container wall had uh, paused in recent days in response to protests from environmental activists and objections by the federal government, according to the Associated Press. Federal agencies, including the Bureau of Reclamation and the U.S. Forest Service, previously told Arizona the construction on federal land was unlawful and must stop. In response, Governor Ducey sued federal officials in late October. The uh, outgoing governor has argued the state holds sole or shared jurisdiction over the 60-foot-wide strip along the state's remote eastern border with Mexico. He said the state has a constitutional right to protect residents from imminent danger of criminal and humanitarian crises. Arizona is going to do the job that Joe Biden refuses to do, Ducey went on to say, secure the border in uh, any way we can. He said in announcing the lawsuit last month, we're not backing down, end quote. The Justice Department Office of Legislative Affairs said that the state's actions have substantially curtailed federal law enforcement personnel from freely accessing the border area and Arizona's placement of armed guards on federal land risks putting federal law enforcement officials in danger. Arizona's actions have also stymied federal efforts to complete construction of border infrastructure projects in certain locations, the email adds, which is almost laughable. Environmentalists have warned the containers could harm natural water systems and endangered species, while Governor-elect Katie Hobbs, a Democrat, called the container a waste of resources and suggested the containers could possibly be repurposed as affordable housing. 
Uh, outgoing Governor Ducey's border wall project began this summer in Yuma, a popular crossing point where containers uh, filled gaps in um, former President Donald Trump's border wall. Now crews have begun focusing on San Rafael Valley, an area of the border that does not see many border crossings, according to the Associated Press. Many? How many? Too many? That's a big question. Well, the initial project in Yuma cost about $6 million, required 11 days of work to erect 130 containers to secure about 3,800 feet. The new work, which will use up to 3,000 containers to secure 10 miles in the, uh, in the county, is costing about $95 million. The new wall has gaps of several hundred yards uh, in some areas due to steep terrain. We'll continue to follow that story to see who wins in this uh, legal and national tug of war. Accountability is coming. Republicans are vowing to probe Hunter Biden's Chinese business deals and freedom of ed- in education. A new truth seeking university raised one hundred million dollars to combat wokeness in high education. And a weapon of choice, the terrifying tactic tech savvy criminals are using to target victims Strange chirping sounds and alerts on iPhones have put some Americans on high alert over the last year and a half as they try to figure out why an unknown device is tracking their every move. It's one of the latest crime trends that tech-savvy criminals are using to carry out car thefts and stalking, which has pushed uh, police departments across the nation to warn residents to watch out for the new tactic. In a a, a traditional stalking case, typically you have people who are uh, making contact or unwanted contact with a victim repeatedly. That's what the Michigan police sergeant, James Isaacs, says. They're following them where they work, where they go to school, where they're going to eat. Using the AirTag, this is an iPhone feature, the AirTag is just another way uh, for them to do that in a more surreptitious way. Dearborn is among the slew of police departments that have warned the public since last year to be on high alert for criminals using Apple AirTags to steal or illegally follow people. Republican members of the House Intelligence Committee are alleging in a new release uh, report that there are indications rather that COVID-19 could be tied to China's biological weapons research program and spilled over to the general human population during an incident at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The information was released in a minority staff report by members of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence on Wednesday night. Calling it weapons-grade lunacy, President Biden is being roasted for sending South Africa $8 billion to shut down coal plants. In the dark, an ex-Biden nuke official helped craft concerning... um, School gender policy that leaves parents out and decision nearing TikTok continues to take the punches this week as several states implemented bans on the social media platform and U.S. lawmakers joined together for a bipartisan proposal to stop the company from conducting business transactions anywhere in the country. The proposal was introduced by Republican Senator Marco Rubio as fears surrounding TikTok suggest it is a Trojan horse of sorts being used to spy on Americans and censor content. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show coming up in our second hour, a conversation with Pastor Rich Jones from Calvary Chapel Hillsboro on the true meaning of Christmas. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, put on notice, Representative Jim Jordan is demanding high-tech records Um, Records, rather, detailing collusion with the Biden administration to censor conservatives and saying absurdity matters. Comedians are defending classic 
comedies that likely wouldn't be made today. Well, pending job cuts, a video has emerged of Washington Post staffers' anger with a publisher for refusing to take questions after the announcement of their layoffs. A lesson learned, a mom from Berwick, Maine, is uh, warning others to beware of a popular product after her infant accidentally swallowed a water bead, leading to nearly a month in the hospital and the need for five surgeries. Little Kennedy Mitchell, just 10 months old, swallowed the Chuckle and Roar brand water beads sometime in late October. Will Georgia fall for ranked choice voting? Well, following the Peach State's second consecutive Senate seat runoff election, Georgia Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger uh, offered some ideas to avoid having to hold future runoff elections. Georgia is one of only two states that require runoffs for both primary and general elections if a candidate fails to gain more than 50 percent of the vote. Hoping to mitigate the substantial cost of having to hold a runoff, Raffensperger uh, proposed possible changes to Georgia's election law, including lowering the needed victory threshold to 45 percent of the vote or adopting the controversial ranked choice voting system. Well, advocates uh, tout this system as effectively acting as an immediate runoff election because those who voted for a candidate who ended up in third place would have their second choice votes uh, tallied and applied to either of the two leading candidates. One obvious problem with such a, a system is that it effectively gives extra votes to some voters while affording just one to those who vote for either of the top two candidates. In other words, despite the claims otherwise, it does uh, not equate to a true runoff election. Furthermore, objection that a candidate should win with less than 50% of the vote is relevant only if there are only two individuals running. Since there are almost always several candidates running for the seat, the winning candidate gaining a plurality of the votes is less of a problem than giving uh, some voters extra votes. Well, it's a deceptively unfair and unequal election system that should be rejected. Hopefully, Georgians don't buy the canard. We'll see. The Department of Energy's nine million student loan correction letters. Well, last month, upwards of nine million people received letters from the Department of Education with a subject line that erroneously claimed their application for student loan debt relief has been approved. Well, despite appellate courts putting a hold on the implementation of the president's executive order to cancel hundreds of billions of dollars in federal student loan, at least for those who took out the loan, but not for taxpayers who would be left with the bill. The Department of Education sent letters to inform borrowers that their requests for debt forgiveness had been received. Well, the department blamed the error on a vendor and is now sending out nine million correction letters. After blaming the vendor, the department spokesperson asserted communicating clearly and accurately with borrowers is a top priority of the department. If the U.S. Supreme Court, which has taken up the case, sides with Biden, it will cost American taxpayers at least two hundred and forty billion dollars over the next decade and probably two or three times that much. Thus far, the Department of Education reports that it has approved 16 million out of 26 million applications for student debt cancellation. The American Academy of Pediatrics CEO is opposing uh, parental rights. Recent comments made by the American Academy of Pediatrics CEO Mark Del Monte uh, came to light uh, that should uh, send a chill down the spine of every parent speaking at a virtual child health advocacy forum hosted by the Oregon Pediatric Society this past April. Del Monte contended that parents' rights were dangerous to children. 
If you look at uh, efforts to seek individualized permission about curriculum decisions in school or efforts to roll back child abuse protections or deny that there's such a thing as abusive um, head trauma or opt out of public health approaches for vaccines to masking to fluoride, you add it all up, all these things together, even though they seem like different topics. What I worry about is that is uh, it is a consistent and steady diminution of the rights of a child as a child. Huh. He then asserted the false dichotomy that efforts to promote parental rights effectively turned back 100 years of legal developments around the rights of children. He then equated the concept of parental rights to child abuse. Parental rights advocate Megan Brock warned, for me, these words are chilling, even suggesting the idea that parental authority of loving, caring parents, a longstanding cultural bedrock, is not fundamentally beneficial to children, but rather can jeopardize a child's rights is very shaky ground, end quote. What's the latest example of the attack from the left on the family as they seek to destroy America's traditional value system? Well, the Tillis Cinema amnesty deal is essentially dead. Congress averted a partial government shutdown with a short term funding bill lasting one week. And the Fed raised interest rates half a point to the highest level in 15 years. Body cam footage of the Paul Pelosi attack was shown in court yesterday. Gavin Newsom says California is about to break amid the flood of illegal migrants when Title 42 expires. The Biden administration is weighing an asylum ban in preparation for the flood of illegal immigrants. And Dictionary.com's word of the year is woman. Oh, the site is unsure of the actual definition. A teacher has sued the Ohio school district after being fired for refusing to use preferred pronouns. And conservative women are happier than liberal women, according to a new study. According to Professor Bard Wilcox, conservative women enjoy a 15 percentage point advantage over liberal women in being completely satisfied with their lives. I always question these kinds of surveys, but I'm quoting. And in a moment of humor, government warns that with Elon owning Twitter, it will only control 97 percent of the media. Not quite as funny as I'd intended. Iran has been ousted from the U.N.'s Women's Rights Council. I guess the bigger question is, how did they get on the council in the first place? It took them long enough. Bloomberg reports the United Nations 45-member commission on the status of women ejected Iran from the body in response to the the country's deadly crackdown on nationwide anti-government protests. Some 29 countries voted in favor of a motion to remove Iran from the commission, while eight countries, including China and Russia, voted against the move on Wednesday. Governor Newsom is urging President Biden to halt uh, revocation of Title 42. It is about time he recognizes the problem at the border. Well, uh, Town Hall reports that Governor Newsom is warning California that the state could break amid the president's decision to reverse Title 42, which allowed police and border officers to expedite and ex- the expulsion rather of illegal Immigrants. Now, more correctly put, the court overturned it, but the administration has not sought to either uh, pass a law or to do anything to address the fallout since that reversal was announced. That said, the administration is planning to reverse the Trump era policy, which Newsom says would cause a huge flow of illegal migrants to enter the state through the southern border. Charlie Kirk weighs in, saying even Gavin Newsom is warning that the U.S. immigration system is about to break. Thanks for saying something, Gavin, but with 2.5 million border crossings this year, it's already beyond broken. Rescinding Title 42 will devastate America. God help us. MSNBC on the border. It's a tragic humanitarian crisis. Well, the anchor, Jose Diaz-Balart, 
on Wednesday criticized the White House's lack of urgency and outrage toward the ongoing crisis at the U.S.-Mexico border. President Joe Biden's administration is set to end Title 42, a Trump-era COVID-19 protocol allowing for the expulsion of migrants to prevent the spread of the virus, despite migrant encounters hitting record levels during 2022. As Diaz-Balart spoke, live footage from MSNBC showed a long line of migrants lining up along the border fence as they await entry into the United States in the frigid cold without substantial resources. RNC Research reports that MSNBC reports from the border an unsustainable and tragic humanitarian crisis. And Representative Henry Suler, a Democrat from Texas, urged President Biden to just show up to the U.S.-Mexico border, which he insisted is going to be overwhelmed with an influx of migrants once Title 42 is lifted. He admitted he doesn't know why Biden and his officials keep avoiding the border, but they do. We'll continue to follow that story as the clock ticks. And Title 42 is facing an end. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break. Also, a reminder coming up in the second hour, a long conversation with Pastor Rich Jones from Calvary Chapel. We're going to talk about the true meaning of Christmas. It appears that some people have no idea. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're winding our way through some of the day's headlines. And in the second hour, a conversation with Pastor Rich Jones on the true meaning of Christmas. Well, Vladimir Putin has set up a nuclear missile in a silo capable of reaching the United States and the U.K. According to The New York Post, the Russian tyrant has reasserted his nuclear threat against the West by appearing to prepare for combat use of a massive nuclear missile that's capable of hitting both the U.S. and U.K. Footage released yesterday shows the installation of a Russian Yars rocket into a silo uh, at um, Kozelsk military compound in Kaluga region, southwest of Moscow. The intercontinental ballistic missile has a range of 7,500 miles and was installed in a silo launch pad using a special transport and load unit. The Yars missile a complex has a capacity 12 times greater than the American bomb that destroyed Hiroshima, Russian newspaper reported Pravda. Daily Mail says that Russia, whose nuclear saber-rattling has been a constant tactic since the invasion began as a means to intimidate the West, is building up to more nuclear showboating as it marks the annual Strategic Missile Forces Day on December 17th. The U.S. Space Force has created a unit in South Korea. The U.S. military formally launched a Space Force unit in South Korea on Wednesday, its first such facility on foreign territory that will likely enable Washington to better monitor its um, rivals, North Korea, China and Russia. The activation of the U.S. Space Force's Korea at Osan Air Base near Seoul came after North Korea test-fired a barrage of nuclear-capable ballistic missiles designed to strike the U.S. mainland and its allies, South Korea and Japan, in recent months. U.S. Space Force says our presence around the globe continues to grow, according to uh, partners in space. Three more states moved to ban TikTok, while Senator Rubio is seeking to ban the Chinese app outright. And the Washington Post announced additional layoffs for the first quarter of 2023. The Washington Post is expected to execute more layoffs in the new year after suffering a massive loss of subscribers in 2022. The publisher announced the dismissals at a company town hall on Wednesday. The layoffs will happen in the first quarter of 23 and will make up a single digit percentage of the current staff, Ryan said, without specifying the number of employees who would be terminated. 
Peru declared a state of emergency due to violent protests there. Reuters reports that Peru's uh, defense minister announced a nationwide state of emergency on Wednesday, which will take effect in the next few hours and allow soldiers to assist police in maintaining public safety after a week of fiery protests and road blockades. The protests were sparked by the ousting of the former president, Pedro Castillo, on the 7th of December in an impeachment vote. Castillo, a leftist elected in 21, was arrested after illegally trying to dissolve the Andean Nations Congress. The latest in a series of political crises the world's second largest copper producer has faced in recent years. The Associated Press reports the declaration includes the suspension of the right of personal security and freedom, including the rights of assembly and freedom of movement. Authorities also will be able to search people's homes without permission or judicial order. Aterola said the government has not determined whether a curfew will also be imposed. An NBA coach prayed for a fellow coach after a game, and this was headline news. A social media video depicting a well-known NBA coach praying with a colleague on the national television is going viral for what it depicts, a Christian leader comforting a friend in his loss. The video shows Phoenix coach Monty Williams shaking hands with and speaking to Houston's Stephen Silas on the uh, the court seconds after Silas' team won 111-97. Silas' father, former NBA player and coach Paul Silas, passed away three days prior to the game. Media personality Jason Romano says Suns coach Monty Williams is the real deal. After a tough loss, he embraces Houston coach Stephen Silas and prays for him after the loss of his dad, Paul Silas. Beautiful display of love and empathy. We could use more of those, I suppose. Well, on this day in history, 1791, the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments to the U.S. Constitution, goes into effect following ratification by Virginia. 1890, Sioux Indian Chief Sitting Bull and 11 other tribe members are killed in Grand River, South Dakota, during a confrontation with Indian police. 1938, groundbreaking for the Jefferson Memorial takes place in Washington, D.C., with President Franklin Delano Roosevelt taking part in the ceremony. 1944, a single-engine plane carrying band leader Glenn Miller, a major in the U.S. Uh, Army Air Forces, disappears over the English Channel while en route to Paris. 1960, Teflon-coated skillets first go on sale at Macy's flagship store in New York City. It was a big deal. 1961, former Nazi official Adolf Eichmann is sentenced to death by an Israeli court for crimes against humanity. Eichmann would be hanged five and a half months later. 1965, two U.S. manned spacecraft, Gemini 6A and Gemini 7, maneuver toward each other while in orbit, at one point coming as close as one foot. 1967, the Silver Bridge between Ohio and West Virginia collapsed into the Ohio River, killing 46 people. 1978, President Jimmy Carter announces he would grant diplomatic recognition to Communist China on New Year's Day and sever official relations with Taiwan. 1989, a popular uprising begins in Romania that results in the downfall of dictator Nicolae Ceausescu. 1995, European Union leaders meeting in Madrid, Spain, choose euro as the name of the new single European currency. 2000, the controversy Chernobyl nuclear power plant in Ukraine is closed for good. 2001, a 50-foot-tall section of steel, the latest, or rather the last standing piece of the World Trade Center's facade, is brought down in New York. 
2008, President-elect Barack Obama says a review by his own lawyer showed he'd had uh, no direct contact with Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich about the appointment of a Senate replacement and that transition aides did nothing inappropriate. Illinois lawmakers take the first step toward removing Blagojevich, a Democrat, from office. 2013, Nelson Mandela is laid to rest in his childhood hometown, ending a 10-day mourning period for South Africa's first black president. 2019, former FBI Director James Comey admits on Fox News Sunday that the recently released Justice Department Inspector General's report on the launch of the FBI's Russia investigation and their use of the surveillance process showed that he was overconfident when he defended his former agency's use of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, or FISA. Well, the Family Research Council today released a new report titled Hostility Against Churches is on the Rise in the United States. The report argues criminal acts of vandalism and destruction of church property are symptomatic of a collapse in societal reverence and respect for houses of worship and religion, in this case, churches and Christianity. Americans appear increasingly comfortable lashing out against church buildings, pointing to a larger societal problem of marginalizing core Christian beliefs, including those that touch on hot-button political issues related to human dignity and sexuality. The report noted several trends, including, but not limited to, a total of 420 acts of hostility against churches occurred between January of 2018 and September of this year across 45 U.S. states and the District of Columbia. There were at least 57 pro-abortion acts of hostility against churches from January of 22 to September of the same year. Uh, FRC documented 342 occurrences of vandalism, 58 arson attacks or attempts, 12 gun-related incidents, 11 bomb threats and 19 other incidents, assault threats, interruption of worship services, etc., 20 incidents, or 4.76%, fell into more than one category. California had the most uh, incidents with 51. Texas had 33 incidents, New York 31, and Florida 23. Violent or destructive incidences that interfere with an individual's lawful free exercise of religion at their house of worship present a significant nationwide challenge and must be condemned. Tony Perkins, the president of the Family Research Council and former chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, commented on the report, saying, as a former commissioner and chairman of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, I've seen the warning signs of this gathering like clouds across the Atlantic. As the mainstream culture moves further and further away from a biblical worldview, I've witnessed the hostility to moral uh, truth creep closer to our shores. The West, once the safe haven of free speech and religion, is turning cold to our religious foundations that have helped us thrive. While it is good to see the Biden administration acknowledge that these attacks are a problem, they must do more. The Department of Justice has so far largely ignored these growing attacks on churches, and that is creating an environment of lawless uh, lawlessness across the country. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour after news and traffic at the top of the hour, Pastor Rich Jones, Calvary Chapel, Hillsboro. We're going to talk about the true meaning of Christmas, not all the stuff that takes so much of our time and attention. What's it really all about? Some folks just don't know. We'll talk about it when he joins me in the second hour of today's program. 
Well, scrolling through Amazon, <clears throat> excuse me, to find the perfect Christmas gift for your niece. Did you know that <clears throat> the moment you click buy on that uh, doll, you can support a charity of your choice with some of the uh, proceeds of every purchase? Well, of course, Amazon uh, won't let you support just any cause. Your shopping can't help violent supremacists like the Ku Klux Klan or anti-Semitic groups like the Nation of Islam or supporters of that uh, notoriously evil cause, religious liberty. What? Wait. Well, take the Alliance Defending Freedom, for example. ADF, one of the premier legal nonprofits in the United States, which has won several cases at the Supreme Court in recent years, has been excluded from Amazon's charity service, Amazon Smile. Meanwhile, the notorious scandal-plagued Southern Poverty Law Center, the organization that got ADF blacklisted in the first place, is more than happy to tell supporters that they can help with their um, fundraising without directly sending to SPLC. Uh, themselves. Did you know there are uh, there's an easy way to support the SPLC at no cost to you while shopping with Amazon? The SPLC sent in an email. Amazon donates a percentage of every purchase made through smileamazon.com. Well, if you plan on shopping with Amazon this holiday season, take advantage of this opportunity to support our work for justice, equity, and human rights every time you make a purchase. The organization even included two graphics to help supporters use Amazon Smile to donate to that particular organization. Well, the sad news is they've excluded many organizations that would certainly be worthy of broad public support. Amazon systematically excludes many conservative or Christian organizations from the kind of Christmas cheer that comes from knowing that every purchase helps a good cause of their choice. Thanks to Amazon's decision to exclude organizations that the SPLC brands hate groups like the Family Research Council, those who support religious liberty can't help ADF with the uh, their doll or other purchases. As explained in the book, My Hating, uh, My Hate Pay, the corrupt uh, corruption of the Southern Poverty Law Center, the SPLC took the program it used to bankrupt organizations associated with the Ku Klux Klan and weaponized it against conservative groups, particularly in order to scare donors into ponying up cash and uh, partially to silence the ideological opponent. The SPLC places ADF and other conservative organizations such as Family Research Council, the American Family Association, the Pacific Justice Institute, the American Freedom Law Center on a hate map, along with the Ku Klux Klan. Critics across the political spectrum have voiced opposition and alarm to the idea that a mainstream legal nonprofit like ADF has found itself on that list. It makes no sense. Nadine Strawson, who's a former president of the American Civil Liberties Union, publicly dissented from the hate group accusation of against ADF, saying that such a claim suppresses conversations we need to have and voices that should be heard, end quote. Michael Weinstein, founder and president of the secularist group Military Religious Freedom Foundation, rejected ADF's policy positions, but affirmed the group's integrity, compassion, character, empathy, honor and concern for their fellow humans. Former employees have also condemned the SPLC's hate group accusations, but sadly to no avail. Well, Amazon under current CEO Andy Jassy didn't respond to um, request for comment about whether the company would reconsider using the hate group uh, list put together by the Southern Poverty Law Center uh, to exclude charities from the Amazon Smile, the Ruth Institute, an interfaith coalition, 
aimed at helping survivors of the sexual revolution applied to join Amazon Smile back in 2016. We were officially rejected from participation, the organization's treasurer uh, told the Daily Signal. She reached out to Amazon Smile and received an email with registration steps. After she followed them, Amazon sent another email noting that the Ruth Institute is not eligible to to, uh, participate in Amazon Smile. We rely on the Southern Poverty Law Center to determine which charities are in certain ineligible categories. The follow-up email states, you have been excluded from the Amazon Smile program because SPLC lists the Ruth Ruth Institute as an ineligible category. Now, this is just a shameful thing to consider that one organization can include exclude so many. Well, in branding the Ruth Institute a hate group, the SPLC repeatedly cites comments from the Institute's founder stating that homosexual activity is intrinsically disordered. Of course, that's what the psychological community held until just recently. Yet Morris did not come up with that language on her own. It traces back to the catechism of the Catholic Church. Uh, Inciting the uh, Morse quote as evidence that the Ruth Institute is a hate group, the SPLC includes context showing that Morse intentionally cited Catholic doctrine. It's uh, really important to be well informed about what the church actually says about homosexual practice. The church is very clear that same sex sexual acts are intrinsically disordered and can never be morally acceptable. She went on to say, well, if echoing the Catholic Church's official position on the subject makes an organization a hate group, why does SPLC not put the Catholic Church itself on its hate map? Well, the SPLC has not commented on the matter and did not respond to the Daily Signal's request for further comment. (coughs) But of course, they don't have to. They have carved out for themselves a position in which they can uh, dictate what other organizations will do just based on their assessment. It's a sad situation. Well, the New York City doctor is warning that bringing back mask mandates, especially for kids, could make the tri, uh, let's see, tridemic worse. Okay, what's the tridemic? It's the flu, RSV, and COVID. Cases are ramping up, and apparently this would contribute. Well, these kids were raised in a bubble. They have no immunity to any common cold. They're getting so sick, and they're getting sick back to back to back. I can attest to that, not being a kid, but getting sick back to back to back. Dr. Uh, Diane Hess of Gramercy Pediatrics uh, says that, uh, so what's going to happen when you re-mask them? They'll go back in their bubble. Her comments come as the health officials in some states call to mask up indoors as the number of tridemic flu, RSV, and COVID cases ramp up. Well, the holiday season's about togetherness, and there is a way to gather safely. Even as respiratory viruses in our city are unusually high, the New York City Health Commissioner uh, stated in a recent press release, it starts with protecting yourself. Vaccination and boosters, for those who will, (coughs) are critical, but so are common sense precautions like masking when indoors or among crowds and staying home if you don't feel well, end quote. Well, across the nation, the county of Los Angeles declared now it's time to mask. L.A. County is expecting high rates of COVID-19, flu, and RSV. These three respiratory illnesses can all cause severe illness. We ask that everyone ages two and older wear a mask indoor public spaces. This includes transit, retail, event venues, schools, and work sites when around others, the county health official wrote on the website. Again, this is in L.A. County. However, for some, masking is not a recommendation. The Philadelphia public school system is mandating masks For two weeks following winter break, the New York College SUNY 
uh, purchase um, is doing the same. Florida Republican Representative Byron Donalds reacts to Dr. Fauci attacking Ron DeSantis over questioning COVID vaccines and explained why Florida will not return to mask mandates as RSV cases spike. Uh, Businesses are also weighing in in response to the potential mask mandate. The manager of one iconic New York City bakery who struggled through the pandemic said they wouldn't follow either. Doing business in New York City is difficult in itself. Adding another layer on us and adding another layer to the customer is at this point very ridiculous. Well, people are fatigued. They're not going to wear them. And the more they're uh, scolded or talked down to or criticized, the less they're going to do them. He went on to say, don't force them on young children. Don't interfere with learning and socialization. Uh, Dr. Mark Siegel, of uh, a medical contributor to Fox News, reacted to the CDC's encouraging people to wear masks to help prevent the spread of the uh, tridemic COVID, the flu, and RSV. We'll continue to follow the story to see what recommendations are made and whether or not people are prepared to go back behind the mask. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. And in our second hour, a conversation with Pastor Rich Jones of Calvary Chapel Hillsboro. So what's the real meaning of Christmas? We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. We are just days away from the celebration of Christmas. Last night I had a conversation with a woman in a Bible study I'm attending, and she mentioned inviting a high schooler to a Christmas pageant that in the title was the phrase, The True Meaning of Christmas. And the young person turned to her and said, what's the true meaning of Christmas? He had no clue what that phrase referred to. And I thought as we were preparing for a conversation with my next guest, Pastor Rich Jones, the pastor of Calvary Chapel Hillsboro, this might be a good subject for our conversation today. We don't want to presume that everyone understands the meaning of Christmas. Why did Christ come? Why in a manger? What's the point of it all? Because a lot of people are asking that very question, and I can't think of anyone better qualified to address it than my guest, Pastor Rich Jones, again from Calvary Chapel Hillsboro. And by the way, they're hosting some Christmas programs uh, the week of Christmas. We'll let you know about those as well if you're looking for a place to celebrate as we uh, anticipate our recognition of the Savior's birth. Pastor Jones, thanks so much for joining us once again. Georgine, it is an absolute pleasure and I uh, hope that you are doing well. It's great to talk with you and I'm excited to talk about the meaning of Christmas because it's near and dear to my heart and uh, many as well. So I'm really excited for our time together today. You know, it's interesting. Christmas has become so commercialized Um, that many people don't really know the foundation of the event that we acknowledge on Christmas Day. Uh, They don't know the true meaning of Christmas, as the phrase would have it, because we've been distracted by so many other things. So I thought maybe we could begin at the very beginning. The first reference to the need for a Savior and God's plan and purpose in sending the Savior. Where would would be a good place to begin uh, to, to look at the Christmas story? Well, of course, the Gospels and uh, Matthew and Luke give us quite a bit of detail uh, about the the birth of our Lord and Savior. You know, it's interesting also, even though it's in the Gospels and uh, with quite a bit of detail, uh, the the disciples uh, later on really did not focus so much on the birth of Christ as they did the resurrection, I mean, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Because, you know, that really is the meaning of Christmas. He mm-hmm. came to die. He came 
to be buried. He came to rise again from the dead. And all that he won for us on the cross and through the resurrection is really the backstory, you might say, to the meaning of Christmas. And so you cannot separate them. The disciples most certainly did not separate them. Uh, it's glorious to think that God would send his son and, uh, you know, to, to, to be amongst men. And uh, there's so much about that that just declares the heart of God to man. Because I, I really am convinced that many people don't understand the heart of God. Mm-hmm. And I think Christmas in many ways gives that, that message, that meaning of what God's heart is for men. Well, let me ask you a question that I think some who are outside of the faith might wonder. Is Christmas an afterthought? Uh, God created the heavens and the earth. He said what he had created was good. But then things didn't go so well. So as an afterthought, I better send a Messiah to kind of clean things up. Can you explain uh, again the, 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 uh, the fact that before the foundation of the world, God had a plan that um, we may not be aware of? Well, you are exactly correct. So it's the opposite of what the assumption was there behind that question. It's not an afterthought. It's a forethought. In other words, mm-hmm. God saw the, 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 the problem, and that's sin, right? Man's sin <clears throat> have created a separation, and uh, that, that chasm is great. You, can, you think about the holiness of God, and uh, if, I mean, the holiness of God is so amazing to ponder. And then you contrast that to the sin of man, and the contrast between them is so stark so how is there any hope at all for sinners to have a relationship with a holy and righteous God like that? That's the dilemma. That's the dilemma of man. And that's the dilemma of the ages. How is it possible for sinners to have a relationship to a holy, righteous God? How does that, how does that uh, happen? Well, the answer is through His Son. God sent his son with a purpose. And that purpose is to seek and to save that which was lost. And he's talking about sinners, right? He sent his son to go and find sinners. And once he finds those sinners, is to reconcile those sinners to himself. That's the mission and that's the message of Christmas. That's the real meaning of Christmas right there. The fact that Jesus was born in the condition of a of a poor family in a manger and poverty and amongst shepherds that are you know considered the low of the low of society, all of that shouts the message of the Christmas uh, good news that God loves the world. God loves the world so much that He sent His only begotten Son into that world of sinners to go and find those sinners and to reconcile those sinners to himself. I mean, that's the glorious message. But so many people, A, they don't understand it, and so many people have God wrong. Uh, if I could be so bold, many people have God wrong. They just think the wrong thoughts. Yeah, and in fact, I want to address that because you describe God as being holy, which is another way of referring to him as perfect, and sinners, all of whom, all of us, have fallen short. And we tend to view God as vengeful, 
as uh, regretting having made mankind because we are such a disappointment. But throughout Scripture, particularly through the Old Testament, which many believers have abandoned as being (laughs) irrelevant, we see a God who consistently pursues uh, his own. He pursues Israel. He makes it clear what his heart is towards those who fall short. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because what you've just described uh, presents God in a very different light than uh, what many unbelievers and perhaps some believers uh, believe God to be. You're exactly right. Because you look at the Old Testament, and I'm, I'm completely in agreement with you, by the way. So many people, they don't see the importance or the relevance of the Old Testament but I'll tell you, it is a backdrop of tremendous importance, and you see the heart of God revealed throughout it. And what you see is over and over and over that God has not given up on sinners. In fact, what's interesting, you look at God's relationship to Israel, which really is the story of the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and you see that that Israel so often would turn their back on God and go after the Uh, gods and the idols of the world, you know, and reject God and go their own way. God never gave up. He continually pursued them. He sent the most powerful prophets, uh, you know, to declare his love for them and to draw them back. Return, O Israel, that he might return to you, you know, and uh, demonstrating his power to make himself known to them and uh, giving them prophecies of a future hope. A A lot of our uh, prophecies that we stand on and we, every year at Christmas, are they are Old Testament prophecies given by these prophets that God sent to wake up a slumbering Israel who have gone after the ways of the world and are sinners of sinners, you know. And so, as you say, people have it misunderstood and, uh, and it's important that we see it correctly because if somebody misunderstands God, they're not going to respond to God correctly. Yeah. You know, for example, go ahead. Please go ahead. Well, I'm just thinking, so many people, they think that God is angry. I think you Mm -hmm. mentioned that before, that, uh, you know, God is holy, God is righteous, and he sees sinners in all of their sin, and he's offended by the sin, which, okay, we can understand how offensive sin is, and we think that because that sin is offensive, we think that the sinner is offensive, and therefore, God's got his uh, hand, you know, up, and he's rebuffing the sinner. Get away from me. I have nothing to do with you, you know, because you're such a sinner. Many people think this is God, and that God's angry with them because they've blown it, they've sinned, and that he's looking for ways to, you know, bring that retribution upon them. Oh, isn't that a sad uh, conclusion? Because that's so not true. Yes, God is offended by sin, but he also wants the sinner to be set free from it. Because that sin is binding a a sinner into a future of death. But God loves. One of the greatest verses in the Bible, John 3.16, God loved the world so much that he sent his son. Well, that's the opposite of that whole God's angry thing. And so we really need to see what God's heart is when he sent his son. Why did Jesus uh, come? Why was he born that day? It's because the world was lost, because the world was in darkness, the world was in gloom, and the world had no hope. It was filled with sinners who had rejected God. But God loved, you know, 
everyone is made in the image of God. And it's just like, you know, our children, you know, our children are made in our image. And we love them, even though they might be prodigals or they might, you know, reject us as parents. We still love them. And that love does not change. Well, how much more so God loves those made in His image? Mm, amen. We're talking with Pastor Rich Jones. He's the pastor of Calvary Chapel Hillsboro. We're going to continue our conversation about what Christmas is really all about, what the true meaning is, and Sadly, it's misunderstood by many. We thought we'd take it on today. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Pastor Rich Jones from Calvary Chapel, Hillsboro. We're talking about the real meaning of Christmas. You made reference a few moments ago to the, the prophetic, that God had made it clear through the, the lineage of Israel that a Messiah was going to come, and not just for the sake of Israel. Uh, they were to bring the good news to the world, but for the sake of the whole world. Can you talk a little bit about the prophetic um, uh, history in which God revealed his plan in providing a Messiah that would come and whom we celebrate at Christmas. Well, you could go all the way back to Genesis. Let's start with that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the sin of, of Adam and, and of Eve and, uh, you know, the, the, the curse that came because of that sin. And, uh, you know, we talked about, for example, even the the, the curse on the serpent who was the tempter uh, to Eve and, uh, the, you know, the curse that one would arise, right, who would strike him on his head even though that uh, serpent would bite him on the heel. This coming one who would defeat and, and crush the serpent on his head is even a prophecy all the way back in Genesis. But then you go to Abraham and you see there that declaration that, through Abraham, the, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Well, we're speaking right there of the Messiah who would come forth from the seed of Abraham. And you look through the lineage and the prophecies, and that's the long-awaited Messiah promised to Israel. And we know his name, and that is Jesus the Messiah. When we say Jesus the Messiah, we are referring to the Jewish Messiah. Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, who is the long-awaited one, who will fulfill all of those prophecies. And in fact, then, I mentioned Genesis, I mentioned Abraham, and that's Genesis 12. But then also you go into some of the prophecies of Isaiah, and in fact, the scriptures that we love at Christmas, oftentimes, most of them come from Isaiah 7 and 9, but I particularly like to focus on Isaiah 9 because the backdrop is uh, the, the, the Israelites who have turned their back on God and, and have gone to the way of uh, uh, the, 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 the idols of the world. And the result of this, the consequence of this, God says, will be devastation. I mean, armies from the north will come and will devastate and there will be such gloom and darkness and suffering. Well, it's a picture of mankind in its entirety, rejecting God. But then he gives this hope. And if you don't mind, I'd like to just read Isaiah Please. 9, that, that part of it. Because he says, 
after speaking of that gloom and that darkness and the consequence of sin, he then declares and says, this is chapter 9 of Isaiah, there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and Naphtali with contempt. He's talking about there in the north where they had rejected God and they were going to suffer the results of all of that. But later on, he says, later on. Now, that's prophetic. He means in the latter days when the Messiah would come, he will make that where it was gloom and darkness, he will make it glorious by the way of the sea. On the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Isaiah 9. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. That's why I love candlelight services so much. Mm. Uh, You will multiply the nation. You will increase their gladness. They will be glad. See that rejoicing, that happiness of it? And uh, they will be glad like gladness of harvest when people celebrate, you know. And they will rejoice like men when they divide spoil, uh, like when you break the yoke of their burden or their staff on their shoulders, like when you break the rod of their oppressor and every boot of the booted warrior in the battle uh, and every cloak rolled in blood will be for burning. Burn it up! It will be fuel for fire in that day. And then comes, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Ah, there. Don't you love that? And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom he will stand to establish it, uphold it, and from then on and from there after the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Oh, is that that powerful? That's God's answer to the gloom and the darkness and the sin and the trouble of the world. That's the true meaning of Christmas. But see, I love that part about the rejoicing and the gladness and the light. See, that's that's a Christmas, right? There's Christmas carols and there's the 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 the, the lights and the rejoicing and the singing. See, all of that is a, is a taste of it. Like we want a taste of heaven. And, and the joy of Christmas is that. The, just a little taste of that prophetic fulfillment. That when the Messiah comes, he will be all of these things. He will be that joy. He will be that light. That rejoicing. Sinners get to rejoice. See, this is the thing. When, when God sends his Son to seek and save sinners, and to bring those sinners to himself. Well, first of all, the the first response of a sinner who has found life ought to be rejoicing. I don't know if you remember when you first came to the Lord, uh, Georgine. How old were you, by the way, when you came to the Lord? I was actually seven years old. I was 11. And see, early days, we heard the gospel, right? Yes. And, and uh, I was in church. I remember the pastor had given the invitation. In fact, I remember the song uh, that was, uh, they were singing. It was the old hymn, Just As I Am. Do you remember that? I old do. Hymn? <laughs> I think it had like 47 verses or something like that. You <laughs> At know? least. <laughs> and, 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 and the pastor would, you know, give an invitation between every verse, you know. And, uh, I mean, it just drew me. I came, I, I gave my life to the Lord. But my first response was joy. Overwhelming joy. 
And uh, I was a young man, and someone gave me a Bible, you know, I was reading it on the bus. Overwhelming joy. That's the first response. And, uh, you know, for those who are listening to this, maybe you remember that first moment when you accepted the Lord and, and the joy and the zeal and, the, uh, you know, light has shined in the darkness. A sinner has been reconciled to God. Well, that's a reason to rejoice. But here's my point. God's not finished. That's not the end of the rejoicing. And, and in fact, God is just beginning to do something beautiful Yes. In the life of that sinner. And and, and I don't know how much time you, we no, have. Please, here. go I, ahead. I, I want to talk about the the work of God when he takes a sinner. Because to me, this is the, you want to talk about the real meaning of Christmas? See, the real meaning of Christmas, we love the presents, we love the tree, we love the lights, we love all of that. But there's such a deeper meaning. And it's all about relationship. Relationship from a sinner to God. That's the... That's the story of Christmas, how a sinner can have a relationship with the holy, righteous God. He made it possible because he sent his son not only to seek and to save, right, but to reconcile through his blood on the cross. So he really, not only was he born into darkness, but he came to die for that darkness. He came to die for that sin. And and we cannot miss the meaning of Christmas by... Missing that great point. He came to die. But he didn't stay in the grave. Go ahead. Yeah, I I was just thinking about when I first came to faith in Christ, I I share your testimony of joy. I was just a little girl, but I recognized at that moment that the God of the universe had given his full attention to my profession of faith, my confession of my need for a Savior. And that joy was the first uh, experience I had as a follower of Jesus. And we want to continue this conversation, but I do need to take a quick break. Again, we're talking with Pastor Rich Jones, and we're just talking about what the real meaning of Christmas is. So many people uh, celebrate the occasion without any idea of what it's all about. So we thought we'd just talk about it. So quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Pastor Rich Jones of Calvary Chapel, Hillsboro. We're talking about the real meaning of Christmas. And it's just such a joy to reflect back to that first day when I came to faith in Christ and my walk began. But you're absolutely right. That is, that's the beginning of a tremendous work that God does in the life of a believer. And I want to invite you to continue to talk about his purpose in calling us to himself, not just to be reconciled, although that in and of itself is more than I can, I can comprehend. But he has so much more for us along the way. Well, and, and Georgina, I love what you were describing there about, you know, the joy that you were experiencing when you uh, first made that decision to receive Christ into your life, you know, you were rejoicing. But you know, I, I want us to step back and see something. God was rejoicing too. Mm. And, and uh, you know, Jesus gave several uh, uh, pictures of that, right? The angels of heaven rejoice when one sinner repents. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Yes. Heaven is rejoicing when one sinner repents. 
and Jesus used, you know, different illustrations of that. He uh, talked about uh, a woman, you know, who lost a coin, and, and uh, she, you know, swept the house and couldn't find it, you know. But then when she found it, she called on her neighbors, I found, you know, I found it, I found it. Uh, or uh, <clears throat> one who's lost a sheep, you know, will leave the 99 and go and find that one, you know. And when he finds it, he rejoices. Or the story of the prodigal son, you know, who uh, took uh, his father's uh, inheritance early and went into town, into the city, and spent it all on wild living in the world. And, and then when he spent it all, and then he uh, uh, um, had... There was a famine that hit the land, couldn't even find a job, you know. Finally, he found the worst possible job a Jew could find, feeding pigs. And then he got jealous because the pigs had food he, didn't, he did not. And so he realized, my father's servants are treated better than this. I'm going home to my father. So he heads for home, and he got his speech already. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm not worthy to be a son. I just need a job, right? So, but it tells us that the father sees him a long way off, runs down the road, falls on his son, hugs his son, kisses his son, and the son starts his speech, you know. Oh, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against your sight. I'm not worthy to be a son. And the father interrupts him, right? Bring a robe and put it on my son, bring a ring for his finger, put sandals on his feet, uh, for this son of mine was dead, and his, he's now alive. There's rejoicing. And I love that picture. It's all a way of illustrating the fact that God rejoices when a sinner comes to be reconciled to himself. That's the reason that he sent his son, because he was, God's heart is broken over the, over the, condition of sin, over the lostness, over what's happening. I'll tell you, look at what's happening in the world right now. I have never seen such brokenness, mm -hmm. such lostness, such emptiness. As I am seeing right now, people are melting down their lives, rejecting God. But see, we've got to see what God says about that. That breaks God's heart. But when a sinner comes to his senses, you know, like the prodigal son came to his senses, there's rejoicing in heaven. In fact, Let's go back to prophecy for a minute. I talked about Genesis. I talked about Abraham and Isaiah. But let's go back to when Jesus was born that day in Bethlehem. And then the angels, you know, appeared to the shepherds. I'm going to, if you don't mind, I want to read from Luke 2 just a little bit here. Mm -hmm. Where it says, uh, He gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Luke 2. But in the same region, there were some shield, uh, <laughs> shepherds sorry, uh, staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were, of course, terribly frightened of this. But the angel said to them, <clears throat> Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. See, now, there's that declaration of the angels. This is a reason to rejoice. That's why Christmas is about rejoicing. Because that is the, the result of God's seeing the brokenness and the darkness and the lostness and doing something about it. He's sending His Son 
And the angels rejoice. We ought to rejoice. That's what Christmas is about. But then we got to see that it, God's not done with that sinner. See, when that sinner comes to be reconciled, God's not done. There is so much more to be done. And, and I, I, I hope we have enough time to go into this. I, I get kind of excited. I hope it's okay. Yeah, please. I was sitting uh, at a um, dinner for pastors, and uh, it was a, a large gathering, and, and you know, you never know who you're going to sit with. And I'm sitting with this pastor I'd never met before, and uh, we're talking about our different churches and whatnot. And, you know, I'm, so I say, I'm Calvary Chapel. You know, we teach uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the whole Bible. And pastor says, well, that's interesting. How many times have you taught through the Bible? And I said, oh, this is our fourth time. I said, uh, the person said, really? You, this, you've taught through the whole Bible? This is your fourth time? I go, yes. Pastor says, so what one thing have you learned? What one lesson have you learned from teaching through the Bible four times? That is an interesting question. It is. <laughs> how do you distill all of that into one thing? So how did you answer? I said, this is what I see. And I've not seen it before. I, I, I've taught through the Scriptures before. But this is, is a revelation that I, I, I guess it's always been there. I'm just now seeing it in, this, in the living color. And that is this, that the intent of God, of course, is to reconcile a sinner to himself. Right. But when that sinner gets reconciled to God, God then begins a beautiful work in that sinner's life. God wants to make the soul beautiful. That is the transforming, powerful work that God wants to do to make the soul of a sinner beautiful. Now, so the pastor heard that and says, "Um, break that down. What does that mean? I said, well, consider uh, let's look at the fruit of the Spirit. This is the result of the Holy Spirit in your life. Isn't that the fruit of the Spirit? Correct. Well, the fruit of the Spirit, and that he's speaking of here of Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love. The result of God in your life is love. Is that not beautiful? Yes. The result of God in your life is joy. Joy. The joy of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Peace. Peace I give to you, not as the world gives, Jesus said. It's a peace that passes all comprehension, such as the peace that I give to you. Isn't that beautiful on the soul? Mm -hmm. That which God wants to do is beautiful. Uh, For example, when Moses, you remember the scene when Moses was uh, on the mountain with God those 40 days? He was in the presence of God, so much so that the glory on his uh, presence was so abundant that there was an actual physical radiance on Moses, right? Now, imagine the scene. Later on, Moses is interceding for Israel because Israel had, you know, done wrongly and sinned. And so uh, Moses is interceding. Now, while he's interceding, he says, can I ask something for me? You know, personal, just for me. And so he, he says, show me your glory. I found that fascinating. 
So Moses, when he had the opportunity to ask for something for himself, what did he ask for? Glory. Show me your glory. Well, wait, Moses had seen more of God's glory than any living human. Why did he ask for more? Because he knew it was beautiful on the soul. God's glory is beautiful on the soul. And he wanted more of it. Show me your glory. That's a beautiful thing. You know, so then it says, Paul, Paul mentions this in, in the Second Corinthians 3, that the glory in the soul of the believer is actually a greater glory than that which was on Moses. That's what I want to talk about. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and we will continue our conversation. Again, we're talking with Pastor Rich Jones, Calvary Chapel, Hillsboro. What's the real meaning of Christmas, and why do we rejoice? Why do we celebrate? Stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're talking with Pastor Rich Jones of Calvary Chapel, Hillsboro. We're talking about the true meaning of Christmas and what we derive from the tremendous gift that God has given us in his son, whose birth we celebrate in this season. Now, I, I hated to interrupt you because there's so much of the beauty of, of what God has done for us and what you're explaining. And I think it's helpful for us to reflect on not just this singular event, which in and of itself is quite amazing when you consider the incarnation, God becoming man. Uh, but let but continue to talk a bit about how we benefit uh, and the beauty of what God has done for us through his son. Yeah, because I think that is, you want to talk about the real meaning of Christmas? Mm-hmm. It's the relationship that God wants to have with man, with sinners. He sees the brokenness. He sees the sin. And he knows that the end result of that is devastation and death. <clears throat> and he loves the sinner. And he wants to save that sinner from that death. So he sent his son, Jesus, to be born that day in Bethlehem in a manger in all the humility of sin, really, of our nature, and uh, <clears throat> to, 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 re, to reconcile that sinner to himself. And he does that through the, the work of Christ. When he shed his blood on the cross, when he paid the sin for every one of the sinners, he paid for their sin. Why? Love, because of love. Mm -hmm. Love is beautiful, and it cost him dearly. Let me ask you, he he laid his life down for us. Uh, Love is the uh, the extension of what God has done through his son. What do I need to do to earn that love? Because we always imagine that while we can appreciate God's love for us, there's got to be a catch, that I've got to rise to a certain level in order to be the recipient of that love. It can't be as as simple as... Uh, believing in and embracing Jesus for who he is. Can you address that urge in us to earn uh, God's favor that's already been extended through his son? Well, absolutely, because, you know, you're right. A lot of people have that, that conclusion, but you might compare it to this. What does, a, what does my child need to do to earn my love? Mm. They don't need to earn my love. They don't have to mow the lawn to get made to love them. I didn't have children so that they might mow my lawn, although I'll admit it is a nice benefit. Uh, But my point is they don't have to earn my love. They were born in my love. And they continue in that love, which I poured out on them, uh, you know, from the very beginning. They don't have to earn it anymore. They just need to be in a relationship to increase it 
That's what God wants, right? He made everyone in his image. You don't earn your way. You don't earn anything. It, it, you know, the, the consequences of sin, the wages of sin, you want to earn something. Well, the wages of sin is death. That's what you earn. Mm-hmm. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Why does he give a gift like that? Because he loves so much. And that's the Christmas story, how much he loves. So much so that he takes that sinner and he reconciles to himself. And one of the things I was just talking about before the break Mm -hmm. is that he doesn't stop there. He continues to build in that sinner's life that which is beautiful, to transform that soul into that which is beautiful. The glory of God manifest in the life of a sinner now reconciled to God is a beautiful work. Now see, when we see that, then I, I think people can look at the, the sin in their lives quite differently. Now, when we see that God is wanting to do a beautiful work and how glorious it is to have a beautiful soul because God made it beautiful, that brings forth a journey of walking with God, ever-increasing in glory, ever-increasing in love, ever-increasing in grace, then we look at our sin, and then we say, I don't want that sin in my life. It's standing in the way of that which is beautiful. I don't want that sin in my life. It's, it's, it's ugly. It's poison. I want that which is beautiful. I want that which God is doing. See, now people are motivated to, to, to get rid of the sin in their lives, but they're motivated for the right reason. That's the gospel, in my yeah, view. That's the gospel. How do you celebrate Christmas? How do you celebrate this great truth that God so loved the world that he sent his son uh, in order that we might be reconciled to him through his death? How do you celebrate well, I love celebrating with the church. Of course, we, we love our family gatherings, and they're, they're rejoicing, and they're fun, they're wonderful. But there's something glorious, you know, about, for example, the candlelight services. I love the candlelight services because that just shouts Christmas to me. What we do is we, we turn every light out in the sanctuary that we can possibly turn out, that we can experience the, the heaviness and the weight and the loneliness and the lostness of darkness. And then we light that one candle, Mm. which is the picture of Jesus being the light of the world and the prophetic answer of God. And uh, then we we share the light as the, the Lord shared the light with the disciples who then shared the light with those around them and, you know, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the outermost and began to share the gospel. And then we share the light throughout the room. We all lift it up, you know. And I love that moment. Uh, you know, Jesus said, if you have a candle, uh, a light, you don't hide it under a bushel. No, as the children's song goes. You put it on the lampstand. You lift it up. And there's that moment we, we all lift up our candles. And as soon as you do that, it's manifest in a glorious way. And then we, you know, we sing glorious to the Lord, those beautiful songs that give Him so much honor this time of year. And anyway, that's what I love about Christmas right there. That's one of my most special uh, events of the whole thing, is that honor to God 
that he has brought such light to such darkness in the sinners like me. He deserved. He is worthy of it all. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our recognition. We need to give him more glory. Absolutely. You know, there's something so empty about celebrating Christmas if you don't know Christ. Uh, the, the culture has mm. given us this picture of what it's all supposed to be about, and it falls so far short that it's just a disappointment we need to recover from. But when Christ is at the center, regardless of whatever else we do, there is an abiding joy that carries you not just through the season, but throughout the remainder of the year. And as we anticipate celebrating his death, burial and resurrection at Easter time, there's something so much richer and fuller um, than what uh, what our culture offers in terms of celebrating Christmas. And I would just encourage any listener who does not know Christ to seize mm-hmm. this opportunity to pursue that relationship with him. You mentioned the candlelight service at Calvary Chapel for folks who are living in the, the uh, Hillsboro area. You have a Christmas Eve candlelight service on Friday and Saturday, the 23rd and 27th, um, on Friday at 7 p.m., on Saturday at 1, 3, 5, and 7 p.m. You're going to be very busy. And then a time of fellowship with cookies after. And then there's going to be a Christmas morning service on Sunday, the 25th, at 10 a.m., which, of course, is Christmas uh, Christmas Day. So if you're looking for an opportunity to worship and to hear God's Word uh, taught really well, <laughs> as uh, as Pastor uh, Jones teaches. Um, let me encourage you to connect with Calvary Chapel or find a church in your neighborhood where you can come together and sing those Christmas carols, thinking about what they actually mean and the great gift that we have been given uh, by God through His Son Jesus Christ. What a great uh, what a great season this is. Oh. I absolutely love Christmas because of the meaning of Christmas. I'm so glad we can talk about really the depths of it. Let's get beyond, you know, the simple things and really understand the deeper things because it is a time of deep rejoicing. Absolutely. Well, Pastor Jones, once again, thank you for joining us to talk about the real meaning of Christmas. Absolutely. My pleasure. Let's do it again. Let's do it. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're out of time. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Sam Moppin for engineering, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.